0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Ra. My guest today is Samuel Say. Uh, Samuel writes at slowtoright.com. He is a Ghanaian. He was born in Ghana, <laughs> Ghanaian, um, and he moved to Canada and to Toronto when he was 10 years old. So he's been living in Canada, is about to move to Ohio. Um, and he has, Samuel has written a lot on race, race relations, critical race theory, and um, I don't want to spoil this conversation ahead of time, but let me just say I've reached out to Samuel because I know he takes a different um, perspective on a lot of these issues than what you might come across in most mainstream, um, let's just say, left-leaning media outlets. And because I just absolutely value – diversity of thought. I like to listen to different voices. I never want to just sit in an echo chamber because I am trying to understand the race conversation. I want to understand it uh, by listening to a a different array of different voices. And so Samuel is going to be part of that array. Some of you, at the end of the podcast, me and him had a little offline dialogue and I said, Samuel, I'm going to get three kinds of emails. Um, Number one, I'm going to get several emails probably from people that say, Preston, finally, you had a voice of reason and rationality on the show with your journey in this race conversation. Thank you for having Sammy on. That's going to be some of you. Um, others of you are going to say, wow, uh, he gave us a lot to think about. I, I need to kind of rethink some things that I thought were kind of established, and he challenged some assumptions that I had. Thank you for having him on. I, I, need, to, I need to kind of sit back and, and fact-check some things, read some more articles, and and see what I think about this. That's going to be some of you. And others of you might say, I can't believe you platformed this guy. That was absolutely horrible. He's wrong. He's uh, internalized his own uh, racism or something like that. I, I don't know what, what kind of response. but what I think some of you are not going to like what he has to say. So I just challenge all of you just to listen, to understand, to engage, to do your own research, to be humble, To consider uh, different viewpoints and then uh, do your own fact checking, do your own research so that we can all be well informed, uh, having grappled with a different array of voices, so that we can have a better perspective on something as significant as racism. So, without further ado, uh, let's welcome the one and only Samuel Say to Theology in the Wrong. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Ra. I'm here with uh, Samuel Say, whom I uh, only vaguely know from a distance. Read some of your stuff, Samuel, and heard some of your talks. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Well, thank you for
0: having me. I, I really I want to specifically um, ha- have you unpack your view on on uh, the race conversation. I know that's a broad term, um, but you I, you have some interesting and some might consider different or <laughs> unorthodox maybe thoughts on the race conversation. Um, but first, why don't you tell us who you are and uh, give us a little bit of background about kind of where you're coming from, and and then we can mm-hmm. uh, get into some of the nitty gritty.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, so I'm Samuel Say. I blog at slowtoright.com. I'm on social media also at Slow to Um I'm uh, known primarily for two things. I'm known for being a pro-life advocate. Um, I, uh, until recently, I was working for an organization here in Canada um, on you know, trying to um, end abortion uh, in, uh, in our nation. Um, and then um, I'm also known for blogging about racial issues, cultural issues, political issues with, I would say, biblical theology. Um but I was born originally in Ghana, West Africa. Um and I moved to Canada when I was uh, 10 years old. Originally I lived in Montreal, um the French basically the French city in Canada. Um, and then I um, moved to Toronto uh when I was about um 13 and now I'm in the middle of uh, moving to the US uh, soon. Um I have a fiance I got to marry so.
0: Will you become a citizen or start that path or uh
1: Doing that, yes. Okay. When when okay. Uh, it would take me a few years before I can apply for that, but okay. when I'm able to, yes, yeah.
0: Is is Ghana uh, French speaking? I forget.
1: No, it's a uh, English, English. We're we're um, a British colony, but okay. uh, We just moved to Montreal because at the time it was just the easiest place yeah. for us to settle.
0: So did you learn French in Montreal then, or?
1: Yes, yeah. I did. Okay. Although, unfortunately, so when I I spoke it almost fluently within three years, I was I was young and I you know the younger you are the easier yeah. you can understand the yeah. language and i'm i'm generally pretty good at languages anyways but um but then when i moved to toronto i for the last 20 years it's been 20 years now i uh, rarely spoke french to anybody really okay. Uh, okay. so i've i can still understand a lot of it but i can't speak it as easily okay. as i used to
0: yeah my wife was born and raised in france so that's yeah uh, um okay. but i i've i've dabbled in French, mainly for my, my doctorate, we had to read um, French and German among other well, languages, <laughs> so I was able to kind of get a, a okay reading knowledge, but man, reading French and speaking it are two different worlds.. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and were you raised in a Christian home, or when did you come to faith or
1: Yeah, sorry. Um, I was raised um, by a Christian, uh, Christian mom, um, so she was, she was a sing- well, she is a single mother still, <laughs> but I was raised in a single uh, parent home. Uh my dad wasn't in the picture at all. He left before I was born. Okay. And um he moved to Nigeria and no one knows where he's at since then. Um I only mentioned that because my mom uh was both my mom and my dad, um, essentially, in a sense, uh, like being the the uh, the breadwinner and yeah. the uh just keeping the home. Um so just seeing how she uh maintain her faith in adversity like that really had a big impact on me yeah um but you know seeing her faith seeing how um you know how she persevered through a lot of trials and adversity um even seeing all that i had a good idea who god was but i loved my sin i i knew as early as five years old that i was a child of wrath it was pretty easy to see i was very sinful still am very sinful um but while i was always convicted of sin and i knew i needed to repent uh i never uh did uh i love my sin too much it wasn't until i was 19 at a uh, youth retreat uh um, my church um now so so some good things do happen at youth retreats <laughs> so, um, uh, they preached uh the gospel and I'll, I'll tell you so this was actually a prosperity gospel church this is uh, that's how, how i grew up so it was not a very good preaching of the gospel whatsoever. But they preached, the, the pastor um, um, simply said, Christ died for sinners. Huh. And just like that, though I heard that many times before, I was like, I'm a sinner. Um, like, that, like that, That's me. Um, and then right away, I was born again. And I believed uh, in Christ. I, I loved Christ and I hated my sin. Um, and since then, um, I've been following him
0: okay awesome well man that's that's a beautiful story, yeah, sometimes the gospel can be preached in context where you wouldn't expect it you know and God works through mysterious ways i've got many of those kinds of stories along the way in my own my own journey um but let us yeah let's dive into the race conversation i'm not even sure how to set it up, but I guess just say, hey, would love to hear your uh, i know you've done a lot of thinking about various things um i'm I'm particularly interested in and how we should understand race, racism, racial tensions, even things like systemic racism, or um, or even more specifically, I know you've written on critical race theory and and things that I've had other people on the podcast talking about. But how, however you want to jump in, um, uh, yeah, would love to hear your thoughts and how you think through the the very volatile right uh, race conversation happening today. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So so just before I start, I think some of the audience might be thinking, Well, wait a minute, he's he's a black Canadian. How how do you navigate all that? <laughs> uh well, just to give people a background as to just the the two nations. Uh Canada and America have somewhat of a different history concerning slavery. We also had slavery here. We had segregation here as well too. They're very similar. The only difference is it wasn't anywhere near as severe okay in Canada as it was in the US, right? I mean Canada was as um As uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said that it was the the promised land and that that was where a lot of the the Underground Railroad was not just leading to North America or Northern America, I should say, the Northern States, but also primarily in Canada. So a lot of black Canadians here originally were basically running from slavery uh, um, from the the U.S. Nevertheless, when they came here, still had some segregation here as well, too, even near Toronto, where I'm at, but not quite as severe as it was. So, yeah. um, but because of the similar histories, though different in scope, um, a lot of the same issues persist here. Um, okay. We have the same disparities. So, so, for example, in in Toronto, seventy percent of the police shootings are against, are against black people. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's even even higher than as far as I know anywhere else in the U.S. Um, so. Um, we have a lot of the same, we have Black Lives Matter, um, uh, Toronto here. And I would say they're probably the more radical group actually, um, of, of the entire chapters.
0: Okay.
1: Um, cause they have, of course, chapters in the U S and in UK and Canada and yeah, the Canadian yeah. one is pretty radical. That's really um,
0: helpful because I think our, our, the American perception of Canada is that you guys are so progressive that these kind of justice issues don't, don't, they've been eradicated for the most part, you know? Yeah. Well,
1: well, you see, and that's the thing. That's, that's what I, I try to warn Americans is that, yes, progressivism is a major aspect of Black Lives Matter. They, they are prog- a progressive group. But that, there's, I would say it's unending. Um, they want complete, I mean, and they will say this, they want a completely anti-Western society. They want to, they want a revolution. And until that happens... Um, that will not be enough, which is why Black Lives Matter and critical race theory is still very prominent here. Just right now, I'm working on an article about how my local school district board uh, is pushing intense critical race theory in the school. So much that I have several teachers who are within the school board who are messaging me saying, hey, man, like, can you expose what's happening here? Because it's pretty bad. And recently I spoke at a, um, Canadian, a Canadian Christian university um and i guess they didn't know what i would say uh, i didn't lie to them they just asked me to come speak and then when i spoke there i guess they thought that i was going to be pushing critical race theory or agreeing with their views um i didn't know what their views were necessarily i had an idea but i was like well they invited me so let me just come speak and the title of the talk was simply what is racism and i di- and i just defined what biblical racism or what racism is biblically um mm-hmm. and um Afterward, they they sent a public letter denouncing me um, for for basically defending racism and for being anti-black and anti you know people of color. Now. Um, as you can tell, I'm a black man.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I was gonna so we, ask. I was, ca- yeah, I was wondering. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, so for for me to be labeled anti-black is quite interesting. Although I've been hearing that a lot these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these issues are still very much prominent in Canada. Okay. Um, you know, even right now, actually, there there is a movement. Uh, we we have our Independence Day of sorts on July 1st, called Canada Day. There is a movement called Cancel Canada Day because of our history. Of um, oppression um, in in the past against people of color, especially the indigenous people here. So you have a lot of the Black Lives Matter, critical race theories guys within Canada, pushing to to not to um, to make Canadians not celebrate our Independence Day.
0: Okay. Well, I, now I'm curious. With that talk you gave, can you give us the the, the snapshot of what your what you said in your talk that caused you to be accused of being anti-black?
1: Yes. So uh, if you don't mind, actually, let me, I can just read a quick. Um, text. That's what I started with, and I think it's just helpful. That's what um, I always want to start with when it comes to the issue of racism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, sorry. Okay, so it's Second um, Timothy three twelve. I'll just mm-hmm. start there. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And from childhood, you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, here's a key part for the, um, the talk. Mm-hmm. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped mm-hmm. for every good work. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that because I said, look, if you wanna be truly anti-racist, if you want to share uh, what God says about racism, if you want to understand what racism is, what justice is, how to love black people, the greatest book you can have in the world for that mm-hmm. is this, mm-hmm. because the scriptures are sufficient. They are able to make you wise. They are, it, it, it makes you competent for every good work. Mm-hmm. So then I said, look, biblically, according to uh, the Bible and also particularly James um, 2 verse 1 to 4, racism is simply partiality against someone, it's bias against someone. It's not a unique sin. It's it's a, it's a more particular type of partiality. It's partiality or bias against someone because of their skin color. Therefore, theologically, it's no different than me um, being pa- showing partiality against you because of your skin color, Preston, or because you might be taller than me, you might, you might be shorter than me, you might be, um, you know, you're, you're in better shape than I am in, right, if I show partiality against you because you are in great shape, well, that's the that's, exact same sin as racism, right? Which is offensive to people because people say, wait a minute, well, this historical uh, oppression and everything. I was like, well, that's true. We can acknowledge that. But before God, when a racist faces God, mm. um, it will be judged for partiality. Mm. And if I, well, when I go before God, I will be um, judged for partiality too in different ways. All right, so I explained that and then i uh, mentioned that therefore if we are going to claim that our nation canada or america is systemically racist biblically as christians we need to give evidence of partiality within the system mm-hmm. not by outcome right but by intent because as james says partiality is to make distinctions between people it is to it is it is always by motivation intent so i can't judge racism based by perception or by how it makes me feel or by outcome. It's by someone's intention in what they were doing. Mm.
0: So that, yeah, that's, that's helpful. Um, in, in, because I'm just trying to understand the conversation, I, as I understand it, the argument for systemic racism is based at least partially, if not fully, in unequal outcomes. Is that is that correct? That among the black community in particular, not necessarily the people of color because... Asian Americans always sort of wrench wrench into that or or even first generation immigrant. I mean, you yourself are an immigrant from what I've heard, the outcome for first generation immigrants, even for, from Africa or whatever is, is still different than people who are, are African American, have been in America for, for a long time. Um, and if I say anything that needs to be fact, I mean, let me tell my audience everything I'm saying fact-checked. I'm just recalling from stuff I've read, so I, it may or may not be correct. You guys need to do your own, your own research. But as the argument goes, because there is unequal outcome in terms of poverty, crime rates, whatever, yeah. um, among the black community in particular, therefore there's something, there's something systemically wrong. Or is there something wrong with the very systems, the structures in place? Is, is that, am I representing that argument well, and then that's what you're that is, arguing that against? Is
1: a, that is a major, major part of the argument. The argument is just, they would say, um, you know, really just perception as well, too. That, that could be, so, for example, um, when it comes to the law, when it comes to the nation, the system itself, that is the argument. But they would even say that even things like certain businesses, right, or, or even churches, mm-hmm. that even – have a, um, even if you don't have equality, even if you have no disparities, if certain people do not feel included in certain things, mm-hmm. right? Could be that. Or for example, um, if, there, if there's a church where you have, um, a, you have a diversity in the members, but you don't have a voice for black people within the leadership, for example, mm-hmm. that could be seen as, uh, being systemically racist. Uh, okay. So it can be so not just in terms of disparities is the biggest part, but the other thing is more so also perceptions, which I think is a major problem. Because then what's the authority on what is truly racist or what isn't? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is what you have to go by. I would say, well, well I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's me saying it. I think it's the Bible is that we should be slow to speak and we should be quick to listen. We should not we should be um, hoping all things and believing all things. Right. If there's certain things that could seem like they're racist when they're not really, if we look into it. So if you were to say something to me that were to, so for example, if you asked me, as you did earlier, well, where are you from? That could be seen as being racist because, well, what do you mean where am I from? Why why wouldn't you assume that I'm just born, you know, in Canada? You you know, which, which, believe me, it's actually, they would call that a microaggression, right? And I know you weren't doing that, right? I know yeah. it's the same question is fine. But because of some people, some people, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, some people have experienced genuine, like actual racists saying, "Well, you don't belong here. Where are you from?"
0: Uh, right? Yeah. Because
1: of that, the, the well, you're doing that for the for the very same thing when you're not. So then I have to assume, uh, well, I have to um, um, obey what God calls me to do, which is to hope all things, to believe all things. That let me assume the best of you, essentially. Huh. Now, concern uh, the disparity argument for uh, for racism. Well, that creates a lot of problems. Um, so, for example, there's Thomas Sowell, I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas yeah, Sowell, yeah, but
0: yeah.
1: I admire him a lot. He mentions that people from the same household do um, have, equal, uh, have unequal outcomes, right? And it's true. So, my older brother, for example, he and I were raised by the same uh, parent, our mom, but he has a lot more money than I do. He's doing a lot better in life than I am, right? Is that because my mom was um, was showing partiality against me and favoring him? No. Is that different people have different outcomes different trees bear different uh, different fruits mm-hmm. and then one example that i always use um, is as the um the um the parable of talents, for example where you have um the the master giving the, the three different servants um different talents right he he gave the first talent so he gave the first servant five talents he gave the second uh servant two talents. he gave the the, the third servant one talent um in the end um not to go through the whole parable but in the end um the, the first two uh were able to double um their uh, make a profit the the first one didn't and he's punished by the servant well if we then let's assume then that the third servant is a black is a black man now all of a sudden if we believe that disparities are are is evidence of injustice mm-hmm. then we would have to believe that the the master who is supposed to represent christ in that parable is unjust because it just happens to be that the black man is a third person who received less uh, money than everybody else and even in heaven for example there will be disparities in heaven now i'm not saying be racial it will be racial but there will be disparities there's no equality of outcome and biblically you don't see equality of outcome being seen as evidence of justice Hmm. right and even when it comes to equality of outcome Sorry if I'm talking too much. Uh, no, 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 no. That's,
0: that's why you're here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> even when it comes to the quality of outcome, uh, within Black people, you actually have disparities. So immigrants actually are actually doing better uh, socioeconomically than even White Americans and White Canadians. Uh, the Ghanians, the Nigerians, the West Africans, uh, which I'm, you know, uh, a member of, um, financially uh, or economically, we're doing we're doing better. Than um, what? Well, then even White Americans? You're saying? Yes, than even White Americans. Yes. Wow. Yeah, so then the question is, well, why is that, right? Um, is it because of, is, is, it, is then, is it disparities because of skin color, or is it because of several factors? And I would say the biggest factor there, and this is, I, I wrote an article on my blog, not to promote it, but um, it was called Our, um, Our Fathers, Are Our Failures, where I use my own um, story and experiences to, to mention that the biggest issue facing black people, the biggest disparity is fatherlessness, right? So. Um, the gap between, and it's similar also in, in, in Canada as well. In America, um, black uh, black children grow up without fathers at a rate of uh, 70 75 percent. So 75 percent of black children do not have their fathers in the home. 75 percent. Well, compared to white uh, Americans, it's actually the complete opposite. Where it's only twenty-five percent of them who do not have their fathers in the home, mm-hmm. that's too much as well, too. Yeah. But you have a fifty percent gap between that. That's going to lead to other things. Barack Obama himself said before he became before he became president, the biggest issue facing Black Americans is fatherlessness, mm-hmm. because, and every study shows this, fatherless children are much more likely to not graduate from high school, which was me, um, are much more likely to become uh, criminals which or at least be uh, in, indulging in criminal activity which was me uh, to be much more violent to be to have um, um, to have uh, early sexual activity which is me uh, which leads to of course them repeating the same issue in terms of creating more fatherless homes and everything mm-hmm. else. So these are the biggest issues and it's true that if you do not graduate from high school you're not going to be doing as well as your mm-hmm. peers.
0: What do you say? Because, and again, I'll say it one more time, then I'll stop qualifying in my questions. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on something I heard somewhere, whatever. So again, if it's I'm, I'm, if it's accurate, then great. If not, then please fact check me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've heard people say that yes, all that's true, but even that is due to certain structures left over, you know, fr- from segregation and redlining and and um, zoning and and clustering poor black people in certain neighborhoods and preventing them so even even that outcome of fatherlessness is partially due to in unjust structures, whether they're still in place or maybe they're left over from a previous era yeah. that was unjust am i am i is that a is that is that, that an accurate that representation mean, or, or what mean, would you say
1: or, t- to that no, oh, you're right, that's the main argument. Okay. Why I think that's wrong is actually because, uh, and, I, and I explained this in the article I mentioned, Our Fathers, Are Failures, on my blog. But initially, actually, when slavery was ended for the next several 30, 40 decades, sorry, 30, 40 uh, years, uh, you actually had more black men in the home than uh, white men in the home. You had, oh. like, like, it was a much greater... Uh, um, uh, rate of, of black fathers staying in the home than uh, white fathers and think about it right that's because well you know in slavery you didn't have a right to your family so when they were finally freed they cherished the idea of the family because now they had something of their own they were the heads of their families and take leading their wives and leading their children but it wasn't really till you see the first cracks of that changing with um, with uh, the New Deal by FDR, where you see the government um, playing a role in creating a little bit the first stages of the I guess the welfare system. And then especially nineteen sixties, that's when you see a huge rise. And that was really with when when LBJ introduced the Great Society, where he was actually warned um, by some of his own people in his party saying, Hey, like what you're what you're about to do, uh, we're already seeing trends of because of the government trying to help black communities are actually leading more black men away from the home so if you implement this you're actually going to end up perhaps accelerating this to making it a, to creating a disease and right when you have the great society in the late i think it was a uh, 68 when it started that's when you had a massive massive rise in fatherlessness within black families so i would say that's not the main reason but also even in canada and the uk so now i mentioned this in the article. In Canada, we don't have quite the same history, as I said before, as Americans. And yet the fatherlessness rate here is is almost identical to what, what it is in America, as it is also in the UK as well. So if America's history with slavery and segregation is the main issue, then why then would it be that even at the height of segregation and slavery, well, right after the segregation and slavery, you had more black men in the home than now, right? And then even, of course, mm-hmm. um, even, of course, again, with Canada and, and, and the UK, where those histories aren't quite the same, you have the same disparities as well too. So I think those examples uh, um, dispel the idea that it is America's history with slavery and segregation that is a cause of fatherlessness.
0: So just to sum- just to summarize, so at the end of the '60s in particular, fatherlessness was way way lower than it is now. So and no nobody nobody would say we're more racist now than we were in the late 60s right or maybe some people do some people say that some critical race theorists actually say that but I mean, only a, only a white person could say that like i've heard people say <laughs> that like things are worse now than under segregation i'm like you're white right like, yeah i don't know i i well,
1: yeah well some of them say some critical race theorists say that um because there are the disparities now worldwide i mean not worldwide but universally in america are much much worse than they were in the '60s, oh. which is shocking. Yeah, but like socioeconomic economic disparities between Black Americans and White Americans today is significantly worse than it was in the '60s. So that's a good question. Well, why is that, right? If racism is 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 uh, much, I mean, if it's much more rare than it is then, uh, which is just proven, right? It's the numbers prove it. The attitudes, it's 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 a fact. But because of the disparities, critical race theories say, "Well, then," or people who support Black Lives Matter they say, "Well, that can't be the case then." And that's okay. one of the problems with believing that disparities is evidence of racism. If you believe that, then that becomes a foundation okay. to how you define racism, right? So even yeah, though things are clearly, clearly better, uh, again the numbers show this uh, across the board because of the, the, the disparities when it comes to outcome, they okay. claim okay. that it has to be worse or the same.
0: So what 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 is the answer then? Why is there such a high rate of fatherlessness? Uh, I, I I think I mean poverty and criminal activity is that would that be accurate too? That that has yeah. increased among the black community more than uh, other communities. And, and yeah. if that's true, then why? If it's not racism or systemic racism, what is it then?
1: Um, a lot of it is just the government, right? So with uh, the great society. Uh, which is why it's fascinating right now when many critical race theorists or or um, many just people in general talk about reparations uh, being needed. Well, the irony of that, well, it's not really ironic, but it's interesting because um, the Great Society uh, was deemed as a form of, of a reparations for black people. So LBJ and the Democrats, they very much targeted um, pushing the Great Society the war on poverty and things like that. For the black community by introducing the wel- the welfare system, particularly to help, of course, the poor, all people, but particularly also dealing with black people to help them, because they believed that if they were to um, to create the welfare system, it would be a means of paying back the injustices through slavery and, and segregation. But 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 the welfare system completely just has harmed the black um, you know, black families and white families too, but especially the black family when you target. Um, or when you try to help out one particular group uh, in that way, and that one particular group has been the one that's been most affected by it yeah. um, in the ways, um, you ways, know, that's of course uh, a sign of how bad that project was. Yeah. So that's a big It's the welfare system playing a big role. And you see that too over here in Canada, where again, um, similar history but not quite as severe, And yet the welfare system is absolutely, and I know many, I grew up in the welfare system and I see how it affects Hmm. uh, families, especially because naturally, if you have a man in the home, well, then you can't get as much uh, support from the government, right? And it creates this idea then, well, and I know many many families, um, some relatives of mine who um, will divorce just so they can get the welfare system, or who will refuse to remarry or to bring in their their men? Now, of course, not everyone does this, but right. for many cases, they're like, "Well, if you come in, and then uh, we don't have the government backing anymore, then what's the point of you coming in?" Which, of course, harms the children.
0: Wow, this is exactly what Shelby Steele argues in his book White Gill. Are you familiar with that? And is that was? I mean, again, I, I'm. As I've said offline, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm coming out this whole conversation as a learner. I'm just absorbing different viewpoints and stuff. So I read um, people across the board. Okay, I read D'Angelo and and Kendi, and I've read Shelby Steele and Glenn Lowry, and <laughs> very different kind of op- opinions. But this, I would say Shelby. I read Shelby Steele alongside D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, mm-hmm. and just I'm just my anecdotal experience is, I mean, I, I thought. D'Angelo's book was just horribly argued. Maybe she's right, her conclusion. I just thought the book, the argument was hideous. I mean, just just it wouldn't fly in any kind of like legitimate academic setting with any kind of alternative viewpoints. It was just, just the logic of it was just, it just, I just thought it was unconvincing. And again, maybe her conclusion's right. I, I can care less about that. Really, I just, as an academic, I like to look at how people get there and how they're building evidence and logical connections. And that was just, it was, she would have failed my, class but um but shelby steele's book it it it, it, i don't know i I was much more convinced by it and certainly a black man writing about his experience growing up in segregation is going to carry more weight than a a white lady who says that she you know is already skittish around black people and gets has racism coming out of her you know i'm like girl you got problems man like i don't don't know or
1: Uh, or they also sorry not to cut you off but um she also suggested that guys like Martin Luther King Jr. and Barack Obama are actually racist, too, um, yeah. especially Martin Luther King, uh, as many critical race theories do, because Martin Luther King believed, of course, in you know, famous the famous words of you know, not judging um, yeah. people by, by their color, but by, by the concept their, of their, Sorry, not by their color, but by their character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, they. Critical race theory is like Robin D'Angelo believe that in itself is racist now because um, the whole goal, remember, of that, which is again, it, it's so important that I keep saying this because if we accept the the belief that racial disparities are evidence of racial discrimination, therefore the only way then to end discrimination is to end disparities, uh-huh. right? And then if so, then that creates a problem. Well, that's why Robin, uh, not Robin DiAngelo, but it, but her colleague, Ibram Kendi, says racial inequality, so racial discrimination is wrong only if it leads to racial, so racial disparities. so right, uh-huh. let me say, this, sorry, I'm getting myself confused, confused, so I'll say it again. Yeah. That he was saying that racial uh, discrimination is only wrong if it leads to racial disparities. However, racial discrimination is good if it leads to racial equity or racial um, parity. Wow. That's what he's huh. saying here, yeah. which yeah. means that since white people across the board are more privileged uh, than black people, therefore, you need them to, to, to discriminate against white people systemically. That way, by bringing them down, yeah. you could have more yeah. equality. Or by bringing them down, you could have, in his mind, black people coming yeah. up, right? So that's the problem with thinking that disparities in of itself proves discrimination, which is why I say that the Bible— is a lot better in giving us wisdom on this that partiality or racism, discrimination is by intent, not by outcome. Right?
0: Well, what What that- about unconscious bias? So, because yeah, I, I yeah, of course, if there is intent, clear clear acts of racism, we're all going to say that's wrong. But what if people uh, are acting out of just implicit bias? And of course, you can't really how do you prove that? Maybe you can't. But is there a place to acknowledge that? you know, um, say a business guy's CEO, he's white, all his friends are white and he was inherited wealth and he hires a lot of white people. And that's his whole network. And, and, um, black person applies for the job. Maybe he's on paper, just as qualified as the next guy. Could there not be a place for him? Not really out of overt, like I hate black people or, but just like, just unconsciously, Hiring white people over black people, is that uh and I am kinda of just asking the question out loud. I mean I don't you know, I don't know if I'm yeah. framing it right or if that's even a helpful
1: um Yeah. I understand you to... and I'm, I'm grateful for your question. It's a good question, it's a very important question. Um so the problem with that is um the word bias itself requires you to be conscious to be biased, huh. right? Especially as it deals with partiality. <laughs> um so I don't know if you can hear lot the thunderstorms around here. Oh, that's but, right. <laughs> but um like so the word partiality is like, it's it's intention it's intentional right now i was a christian first now I'm, I'm happy to talk about the logical aspects of unconscious bias but as a christian um like bias is partiality and that uh, as james describes it it is never unconscious it's always by intention you are always making distinctions between people right so if we're going to because then biblically and you know, say within the church if someone is guilty of unconscious bias well how do you prove it how do you yeah. do my routine right and that should, that should be true for everybody else i don't want someone assuming the worst of me Right. i want someone to assume the best of me I as god, as god calls them to, to hope all things to to believe all things um the problem with unconscious bias is as i said earlier you can't prove it and the issue is biblically um or even just morally general um, if you accuse someone of something and you can't prove it, you're the one who's in sin. You're the one who's in wrong. You're the one who's showing bias. So, just to give an example, um, I was walking, and I always share this example many times. So, I uh, was walking in a dark tunnel uh, once. Uh, this is, um, it was a winter. It was, you know, this is a very dark tunnel. And um, it, it's in a very isolated you know, area in my neighborhood. I'm walking in this tunnel. And then as I'm walking there, I see this young lady on the other end of the tunnel. She's a young white woman, small woman, very petite. And as soon as she sees me, she just freezes up and she looks terrified. And then I'm I'm a big, I'm a big man. I'm a big black man. So she sees me and she's terrified. And then she, now the walls in this tunnel are pretty dirty. She essentially attaches herself to the tunnel um, and just clutches her purse and just, speed, speed walks fast away from me. And immediately I'm thinking, man, yet again, you know, happening again, I'm a black man, a white woman sees me, she's terrified of me, she thinks because I'm black, I'm going to harm her. And here we are again. Then as I'm walking, I think to myself, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it because I'm black? Let me think about this. Well, what if, I actually do what God calls me to do, which is to again hope all things, believe all things, assume the best of her, and to consider her as more significant than myself, as Philippians tells me to do. And I think, well, what if she's actually a victim of sexual assault in the past, and when she sees me now, she's just afraid, and she's vulnerable. What if she's doing as my I've told my little my little um, uh, what's the word sister to do. Which is that it's a very, uh, women are vulnerable in that tunnel. So I've told, I told my sister that look, every, every time you're not in, tunnel, in that tunnel and you see a man, just be careful. What if she's just doing what I've told others to do? Mm. And then I'm thinking, well, what if it was a black woman and she did the same thing? Would I think she was racist? Mm. I wouldn't think that at all. And then I thought, wait a minute. I'm doing what I'm accusing her of doing against me. Which is, if she wasn't a white person, I wouldn't assume she was being racist. I'm assuming she's being racist when I'm actually the one who's being racist there. Now, she might be a racist. She might be. But it's not my job to assume the motives of of why people do what they do. Hmm. But it's my job to discern my own motives. Mm -hmm. So, could she be a racist? Maybe. But I know for sure that I am and God calls me to assume the best of people. And that's the issue with unconscious bias, that in 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 determining that we are actually assuming, <laughs> like we are using our own bias to determine others of being unconsciously biased because it's always directed towards white people, not black people, right? So that's the issue with that whole, um, um,
0: no, oh, that's that's yeah, that's helpful. And I, I like you said maybe she's racist. Like that's one of several possibilities, right? Um mm-hmm. but to assume that is you're saying that's going beyond what scripture kind of allows believers to do, really. Um That's good. Well w- um have you experienced like what w- what you would call overt racism where it's like well, no doubt about it, this was a racist t- comment, act, whatever?
1: Oh, <laughs> well, for sure. Uh, I experienced that. Um, actually I've experienced that in different ways but uh, particularly uh, at school one of my teachers was brutally racist towards me for an entire year um, where he would um, (laughs) he would in front of the whole class and at the time and today it would never fly but at the time um, people would just laugh along with him and I wasn't laughing but I didn't really have a I didn't really know how to address it Um, but yeah, he would he would use you know racial slurs against me, make fun of how dark I was, wow. make fun of um, you know uh, where I come from, uh, Africa, um, routinely teasing me and showing obvious partiality against me in other ways as well too. Um, that was the worst form. Uh, that was hard for me. Um, yeah. I didn't I didn't want to go to school. I don't want to go to class because of that. Um, I was also a bit embarrassed too because I, interestingly, a lot of my black friends well not black friends but black classmates were laughing along with it because in particular he was making fun of not just i was a black person but i was an african black person and i'm darker than the average black person and since a lot of those guys were not as dark as i was they were laughing along if anything there were actually people who would um repeat what he would say to me you know in the hallway and things like that um so i've definitely experienced that before i've experienced other forms as well too but to me, the even I think the kind of racism that we don't talk about a lot these days is, you know, um, recently there was a um, prominent Christian leader who mentioned that a lot of his a lot of his black friends do not trust him uh, because he's white because they've experienced racism before or people that they know have experienced racism before. So he said that it's it's understandable that they don't trust him. Well, that's actually racism. What he's saying. And we wouldn't think of it that way, but it's actually very destructive. I would say these days, or especially within the church, it's one of the most destructive forms of racism. Because if a white person says that, if a white person says, you know, um, yeah, I have, you know, I myself have experienced racism from black people or some harm from black people. And because of that, I just don't trust black people. We would say, well, that's racism. You shouldn't judge um that black friend or that black person based on what others have done to you. Well the issue why that's that's racism is because the Bible calls us uh, not to rejoice at wrongdoing, hmm. right? Or not to justify wrongdoing. It's sinful for someone to not trust another person strictly based on what other people have done. It's sinful, it's wrong. It's partiality. It's bitterness. So if a white person says it's okay if black people do not trust white people hmm. You are justifying our sin. You are showing partiality against us because we're black, right? And that's sinful, that's wrong, that's racism. Mm. So, I mean, I've been seeing that a lot, Mm. the way I know that I can get away with certain things as a black person that white people wouldn't get away with. That if a white person would say that they would be called to repent, which is love, right? Mm. It's loving to call people to repent. So if, because I'm black, I will say things that will make you afraid of wanting to rebuke me or to call, call me to repent, that's racism. That's you choosing not to love me because I'm black, yeah. and it's a very major issue I think within the church today that we're not addressing.
0: Wow, wow, that's thanks for always bringing it back to the Bible. It's it's fascinating how the Bible often isn't I don't know consulted in race conversations. Uh, not that's overstatement, but in, in many, w- 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 even across in Christian circles, sometimes. Um, so that's yeah, that's super helpful. I'm curious about. Um, uh, the concept of white privilege. Do you have thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love when asking a question, you, you kind of crack up like, yes, Preston, <laughs> you, you didn't read my blog on that, did you? Um, no, 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 it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on that concept? I mean, we hear that all, all the time and, and I honestly don't know what I, I, am thinking through it, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I, I will say, well, no, I'll let you answer then. if you, I might throw in some of my thoughts on it. No problem. <laughs> yeah. so,
1: if the cons if the if, if the term if what they meant by it was strictly to say it just happens to be that white people are more privileged um, than black people um, because of majority culture maybe even you know a number of different things if that's just what they meant by that I wouldn't phrase it that way but I say okay yeah well that's true it's true that um, you know being part of a majority I won't call it a majority culture but just you see more white people in America mm-hmm. and Canada than you do black people, right? You know, and there are several, there are some cultural differences um, necessarily. Um, so, if that was a case, I would say I agree with that generally. But white privilege basically means, because systemic racism exists, it naturally leads to an easier life for black people. Sorry, sorry, for white people, um, in that it is. It is. It's. It was designed that way within our founding principles, and that it's maintained. It's maintained through our founding principles, and it will be so unless it's abolished. Unless you abolish systemic racism, which then leads to a change in the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, white privilege could mean anything like just the social economic uh, status. Uh, is, is primarily that. Um, so it usually deals with the disparities angle as well too or just what it would cause cultural norms and things like that that benefit Mm -hmm. white people would say Uh, well the problem with that is again you really it assumes a lot it makes a lot of assumptions and again the data itself as well too there are several variables within that as i mentioned earlier uh, western um, west africans or african immigrants are if you look at just how they phrase it at least by socioeconomic statuses they are much more privileged than white people are, as are Asian Americans. Um, now they would say things like the lack of diversity might be lack of might be evidence of white privilege. Well, I don't think so because it's just the just a bigger population. Um, in the same way that where I'm from, Ghana, for example, I'm a member of my, my tribe. We're called the Fantes. Um We are a smaller um, tribe. The bigger tribe is our rivals, the Ashanti's. Um, now, the Ashantis, they dominate Ghanaian culture. Um, huh. you know, and no one says, well, that's just Ashanti privilege. It's just the fact that they're just a bigger population, mm-hmm. just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Anywhere you go, you're going to have a more dominant group just because of the population um, uh, size. Okay.
0: Um,
1: so I reject what, what white privilege because it assumes there is a nefarious reason as to why white people today are more... Um, generally privileged uh, than the average black person Mm. Uh, uh, what I would say though is again going back to the beginning I think the biggest reason why um, white people tend to be more privileged I suppose than black people is again the fatherlessness issue Um, so I say there's actually a fatherless so there's a father privilege or a parents privilege Mm. uh, in the world is not based on your skin color and to prove this for example white people um who grew up without without dads have the exact basically the same socioeconomic status as black people who grew up without dads and really? then, and the black people who grew up with dads have the same socioeconomic status as the white people who do grow up without
0: dads so really? that's, that's that's would people push back on that or is that pretty established or
1: uh? it's, it's established now some might push back on that but the numbers show that now of course it's not the exact same number but it's it's eerily that's similar very close. wow yeah. So
0: yeah, no, that's, that's super helpful. I, I, um, I, I think we, I, and these are thinking out loud questions on my, that may be totally wrong or off wrong headed, but, um, I, I don't know. Is, is it right to say we should define privilege too? Is it simply wealth? I mean, or should we measure it mental health and happiness and <laughs> depression rates? I mean, there's to say that no wealth is the goal of life and that gives, and it's like, is that a Christian, does that reflect a Christian view of what it, privilege even, even means? Um, but then also like I, when people raise a privilege question, and again, I, with you, I think there's some legitimacy to it with any majority culture, given especially the history of power differentials and oppression and all this. I mean, I sure, I'm going to assume, pro- yes, that probably has some lasting effects in, in many cases. But when people say, do you believe in white privilege? I'm like, in what context? Yeah. Like it just seems sociologically naive to make such a blanket statement. Like if I'm a um, white person um, trying to be a professional hockey player (laughs) or or maybe I'm trying to be a hip hop artist, you know, maybe I'm walking through South Central L.A. at night. Does my whiteness bring me more privilege or less privilege than does it um, if I you know, if I'm what about my height? If I want to be a basketball player and I'm five, six, or if I'm a six foot eight black person, which one has more privilege? And certain, I don't, oh. and, and these are kind of, yeah, like, yeah, what about all I'm saying is it's from my vantage point. Again, I, maybe I'm totally missing it, but it just seems like to make such a blanket statement that doesn't consider layers and layers and layers. And layers, what about with somebody's autistic? What if they're disabled? What if they ha- have a family life, but they were sexually abused by their father? And, does that it just I think I need to ask like a hundred different questions before I determine this person has more privilege than this next individual i don't I don't know, is that am I that
1: that's and you're exactly right, and I completely agree with you. Um, uh, I can tell you playing um playing basketball when I was younger, if you're a white guy, and you show up, you know, with my friends and you're a court, we're gonna make fun of you. We're <laughs> thinking, oh, yeah, this, this white boy can't play, right? <laughs> you know what I mean and sometimes many times they could, but we just assume that well they can't because they're white, right? Um, or I can even tell you now, uh, I don't know what your views on, you know, over here in Canada, we have, we're still basically under lockdown, essentially, with the COVID and everything. I've been making a joke about my black privilege because, especially as a big black man, I don't wear a mask. Um, I don't think I need to uh, for a number of reasons. Nevertheless, everybody else here is wearing it. I'm, I'm I'm an anomaly. Like, when I say trust, me, like it's, it's shocking to be when they see me that I'm wearing a mask. Now, I have some friends who are white. don't wear masks and they tell me all the time how many times they get shouted at and they get called out never happened to me never happened to me whatsoever i make a joke saying because of my black privilege well right now in today's society do you really want to be shouting at a black man right it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't look good that way right and i'll tell you this too um this is horrible but this is what i did when i was younger this is a power of accusing white people of racism i knew at 16 years old how powerful it was. I, as I said before, I was um, I, when I, I was not a Christian at the time at all, and I was living a uh, very sinful life. And I ch- attempted to um, shoplift, um, you know, at the time. And I got caught. When I got caught, the security guard just approaches me, and right away, almost without thinking, I said, you're doing this because I'm black. I know that's not why he's doing it, but I knew if I say that, it could, it could help me get away from, get you know, get from being uh, responsible for my, my sinful actions, my criminal actions. Right away, I still remember the horror on his face when I said that. And immediately he just said, just drop it and go. Just, he didn't want anything to do with it because of what I just said. Okay. Well, if that white person, if you're white and you say that to a black man, that's not going to go anywhere. It's like, you know, whatever. It won't go anywhere. If you're a white person and you're saying that to a white security officer, that's not going anywhere. Because I'm black and I said that, I had the privilege um, of, yeah, well, if I say that, who knows? He can get in trouble for that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Our society hates racism against black people so much that white people are afraid of even being labeled as a racist. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah.
1: So... so yeah what you're saying i agree with you there are different layers to all this stuff that it's completely unjustified and unhelpful to Mm. um you know and and even even outside of that too we have as an immigrant to north america i can tell you like i have i have family members i have uh, relatives who cannot read their own name Mm. they just can't um because they just don't didn't have the education We are, what about North American privilege? What about Western privilege, Hmm. right? If you live in North America already, you are one of the most wealthiest and most educated people in the world, not just in the world, but in history of the world. Hmm. What about even era privilege? There's all these different (laughs) blessings and all these things that we don't think about, but instead we're really just bitter and we're trying to say, it's really envy. This person has more than me. Okay, well, somebody else, would say that they have less than you. So what's yeah. the point? Right? Let's just be grateful for what we have. Let's count yeah. every blessing. Let's count every one of our blessings or or uh, privileges yeah. Um, yeah. instead of trying to check, you know, check yeah. our privilege as a way of of um, of um, accusing others of being um, basically oppressors against yeah. the oppressed.
0: That's good. Wow. Um, I, going back to something you said earlier, what, what do you think about the cr- criminal justice system? Do you know? I, I know nothing about that, um, but you know, have heard that there are sort of biases against uh, black people in particular, at least in the American criminal justice system. Do you know enough to uh, um, yeah. about it to say anything about that, or even, yeah? Um, yeah. All right, the, the one um, example I've been given is like you know, cr- if you get busted for cocaine, which is typically a white man's drug you're going to get way less of a sentence than getting busted for a crack, which is the same substance, but a lesser grade. Um, yeah. to me, that's more of a socioeconomic disparity, not necessarily a racial one, I think, but I don't know. Um,
1: the, the irony of that is, um, so we, the very same arguments are, are true here as well too. We have very similar disparities and things like that over here. Uh, actually disparities here in some ways are actually worse than it is in America. Um, but the issue with that is the reason why crack itself is more um, more it receives more severe punishment is because you have the black caucus, you know, within the Democratic Party and black leaders uh, themselves who said, let's make that actually more severe because it was harming more black people. So that's the irony of it all huh. in that um the reason why crack um you know because it was destroying many young black people so then you have the leader saying well let's put them in jail to warn other black it's more severely to to warn other black people from following that lifestyle Mm -hmm. or to just harming little kids who were being sold these drugs so that's why you had it much worse than cocaine because yeah the cocaine was an issue um, in uh, in, the, in the 80s, but crack itself was destroying black people at a much higher rate So the irony is a wow. um, long time you had uh, Reagan being, being accused of racism because of his inaction against crack He was being called racist. They saying, well, you don't care about black homes. We're being destroyed by this You're not doing anything about it. Wow. So he was pressured into doing that Now Nixon started that Nixon was also being called racist for that reason as well, too But then Reagan especially was called racist by the black leaders like um, Jesse Jackson, uh, Al Sharpton, they were all saying this because of the fact that he initially was not uh, focusing on the, or not just him, but the entire um, American um, um, system was not addressing that issue. Um, And then also, even now, so people compare crack and cocaine, I get that, but the actual greater comparison is meth and cocaine. Okay. And for, uh, sorry, meth, I mean, not meth and cocaine, meth and crack, which is meth is the white man's drug. Um, right. So if you, so the, 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 um, the punishments, um, for, uh, meth and crack are actually identical. Really? So that's the comparison. Yeah.
0: That's, I, I have never heard that. Wow. Um, gosh. What, what about other aspects of when people say the criminal justice system is bent towards, is, is stacked against black people. Um, is there other arguments that people use and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think one very
1: helpful thing when I've, I've mentioned the word critical race theory a lot today, yeah, yeah. and knows what critical race theory is, and I think by helping to define it, it might help people understand where, where these arguments are coming from, especially as it deals with the criminal justice system. So critical race theory, essentially, to kind of make it very simple, is essentially saying that America's founding principles, America's uh, America's um, legal institutions, are irredeemably racist okay. because. They, they. This is what critical, critical race theorists would say, because they, they, um, they advocate for impartiality when it's impossible. Right? and that's the postmodernist, modernist thinking within it. That they believe the Western, the Western society is really built by and for white, um, uh, white men, really to to oppress women and uh, black people, especially black people. So because of that, they believe that the whole idea of justice is blind is really just a way to manipulate people into thinking that what's truly oppression discrimination is uh impartiality and justice so that's that's why they believe that um racial neutrality is impossible and it's actually in of itself racist which is why they claim that mlk himself was internalizing racism Um, so i think with that with that in mind it's helpful to know that the reason why many people say that the, the system itself is racist is because of the very principles within the system, even before you get to the disparities, they believe that this, that you should have consideration for someone being black, right? And you know, believing that, you know, so if, that's why you hear many, uh, you hear arguments about, um, well, black and black crime. Well, the reason why that's happening is not because black people are just committing crimes; it's because the system itself is making them commit crimes. Mm-hmm. So you should understand that. Become compassionate toward that and give them linear sentences as a kind of reparations as well, too. So when people are talking about the outcomes it's not or the disparities, it's not just disparities. They think that you should, in many cases, eliminate all that as justice for black people, which is why you hear, of course, too, about uh, abolishing um, or defunding the police and abolishing even prisons. So Black Lives Matter believe we should abolish prisons in and of itself because they don't believe that it's justice, since in their mind, it's just a a way of trying to enslave Black people again, right? So with all that in the background, I think it's helpful to know that. And then I can talk about the the outcomes of disparities um, as a whole. So the issue, again, is there is no evidence, right? Disparities do not prove discrimination. There's no evidence that certain Black people are being uh, punished more severely as a whole because of their skin color. There's no evidence of that at all. And you've seen several cases where actually, um, there are some times where black people do get a leniency because of, I think, I would say white guilt in many cases because of that very thing I just told you about. Um, so even right now, when it comes to police, police shootings, uh, I'm forgetting his name, but there was a uh, researcher uh, who was like, who was not on my side, but he's just an honest um, researcher and he came with a conclusion, which has been verified by many people, that uh, white white cops are actually now um, um, less likely to shoot black people because of fear of what they could be labeled as if they do so. So even when they're in dangerous positions, they won't do so sometimes mm-hmm. because they're afraid to be called racist and lose their jobs and lose their livelihood. So that's, that's my answer to that.
0: Wow. Wow. Gosh. Um, you, you mentioned earlier some of the quote-unquote anti-racism movements, and and for people that don't know, the the phrase anti-racism is is identifying one specific kind of movement or way of thinking that is addressing racism. It's not. It's a little bit of a mis not misnomer, but it's like if people say, "Oh, I'm against racism." Well, most people are against racism. but Anti-racism is kind of a is a coined phrase, right? That's promoted yeah. by Kendi and. I mean, D'Angelo and many others. Um, it's from my naive reading because I've done a lot of reading in MLK, Malcolm X, um, and when I read more modern approaches in the anti-racism, they they seem they do seem different. And mm. sometimes, you know, people will ask me what I think about it, and I'm like, "Why?" Well, I, I tend to resonate more with like an MLK approach to racism. And people are kind of like, well, yeah, that's what all these people are doing too. I'm like, well, I don't know if they are. Like, I just doesn't feel. And again, I'm, I, yeah, I'm just a guy who reads a lot and listens a lot, but it just doesn't seem like it's the same approach. Like, I don't think Kendi, Kendi, um, and others would would really get along well with Emily, or at least well, I think they'd be have more disagreement than agreement. It seems that's yeah. from my again. That's what it seemed like to me. Would that be an accurate? Like, would you resonate with? M.L.K. And, and see the big difference between how some of these other people are addressing racial Absolutely. tensions. Yeah,
1: I'm definitely more um, in agreement with M.L.K. and completely opposed to uh, the anti-racist uh, guys. So just to just to add to your point, um, they're so antagonistic to the civil rights movement that one, Ibrahim uh, Kendi, uh, in the beginning of his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist he mentions MLK and trying to emulate MLK when he was younger. And then he says he regrets that because he was actually internalizing racism. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, where, that, that's, how, that's how strongly they feel yeah. about this. And then uh, Derrick Bell, uh, who's the founder of Critical Race Theory, um, him and, you know, the Kim- Kimberly Crenshaw's and yeah. the guys who um, founded it, they expertly say that they created Critical Race Theory as a reaction against the civil rights movement. Because civil rights movement did not go far enough, they simply just ended the laws, but it's mm-hmm. like, well, laws itself didn't didn't change anything. If you have to change the system, the whole system, um, to end um, to end racism in America. Mm-hmm. So it's a completely. Uh, it, 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 so I, I describe critical race theory not as the offspring of um, the civil rights movement, but as the offspring of Marxism and postmodernism.
0: Mm. Wow. A lot of debates about critical race theory. I've had several people on the podcast talking about it. And um, I, I still need to go back and I, I didn't – read. Derek Bell has that s- seminal essay, right? That if, you, if people really want to understand you – know, what would be kind of a quick, quick reader? If someone says, I want to understand firsthand what critical race theory is, would you recommend Bell? And then there's um, there's an introduction to critical race theory I think that's pretty yes. –
1: if people want to know the beginning anyways of critical race theory, that's the essential book. It's, it's several essays um, from the founders and things like that. Okay. It's a hard, read. it's very academic, um, okay. but so that's good. But if they want a simpler version of all of that, like there's an average person's, um, you know, um, I guess take on it. Now, this person's not an average person. This person is uh, one of the founders. Uh, his name is uh skip him right now oh my goodness what's his name which delgado delgado yeah
0: that book yeah didn't he write an introduction to critical race theory or something
1: yeah so he helped yeah i think i think that one's just called critical race theory okay
0: Um,
1: i think the one you're referring to is the one that Kimberly crenshaw edited with guys like him okay um um so that's that's a good one if you just want their own perspective that's the book okay but if you want also a rebuttal um against critical race theory from a christian perspective that explains what critical race theory is and its, and it's the theological implications. The best book so far is from uh, a body uh Fault oh. Lines. Um it's Body Bochum, not that it really matters, but he's a black man, uh he's a black theologian, and um he's it's, it's an incredible book. Um
0: that just came out, I think, didn't it? I think it just came just out, yeah. Three, four months ago. Yeah. Have um, you read what and, about um James Lindsay? Are you familiar with him? I mean uh do do you think he accurately represents absolutely accuracy?
1: yeah yeah. He's been very influential in um, you know in how I because for a long time now I was studying critical race theory, but I was coming from I was um, explaining more of its Marxist roots, which is evident. I mean they 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 admit this. They said, now now they don't, but because they know now the kind of the, the blowback to it. But in their essays, they mentioned this. Uh, you have one of their founders, I'm forgetting his name right. I think it's Charles Cook. I think where he has a book called uh, From From Race No From Class to Race, where he says that. Here's where Marx was right. Here's where he's wrong, and here's how we basically want to correct it by making it not a racial issue. Sorry, not a not a classism issue, yeah. but a racial issue. Um, nevertheless, um, yeah, I, James Lindsay. I I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of his. Um, his book, cynical theories, is absolutely okay. fundamental uh, as well, too. So I'd recommend that as well. I,
0: I'm always nervous. I mean, I was, I've been a Christian all my life, and oftentimes when somebody. Uh, just opposes something from the beginning they don't always represent it well you know so i'm always care but everything i've heard of lynn but see i haven't done i haven't done the the original work in reading critical race theory but he seems to be very fair in like is is he seems to be very concerned about representing something well not just creating a straw man and addressing that that's my impression at least from what i hear him talk and and everything what about some um on the race conversation, who have been your biggest influences? You mentioned Thomas Sowell. Um, we, we, I mean, Shelby Steele came up. Are there other people that you're like, man, these, I think these guys are really – guys or girls doing it well? Yes. Um,
1: I mentioned uh, Vadi Bokum yeah. earlier. Vadi Bokum has had the biggest influence on me.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Vadi Bokum. And surprisingly to many, many people, John MacArthur. Oh, yeah. Uh, John had a very big impact on me. Not because these racial issues, and I, I keep I want to stress this, it's not a matter of just racial, it's, it's, it's theology. It is what is the foundation to um, um, to ethics and justice? What is your foundation? If it's from the world, you, you, you will be lost and you will embrace all these philosophies. But if it's the Bible, you will understand what it is, which is why I started out by reading that text, that the Bible is sufficient. So for me, as a black man, um, because I had learned from guys like John MacArthur and Paul Washer and Charles Spurgeon, um, on making the Bible your foundation for how you understand everything. When I saw a lot of my black peers um, embracing these issues, I wanted to think clearly, okay, let me not think with my skin color, but let me think with, well, my, my soul, what the Bible says. Um, so John MacArthur, sorry, John MacArthur had a big influence on me. Uh, Owen Strand, uh, I don't know if many people know him, but he's a, uh, a scholar, and he's he actually just, he has a book coming out, I think next month, Called uh, Christianity and Wokeness. Uh, I've already read it. I endorse the book. It's brilliant. It's really, really good. So, my, uh, um, I
0: have to, I have to acknowledge that my audience is going to totally resonate with you saying the Bibles our ultimate authority. Most of my audience is going to resonate with that, but you're going to completely lose them by mentioning John MacArthur and Owen Strand, unfortunately, <laughs> 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 and Paul Washer. I'm just, i just, I just, my audience That's is right. probably, gotcha. yeah. I just have to acknowledge that, but. Um, I, I went to John MacArthur's college and seminary, so oh, okay. I was nurtured in the, the environment, so I, so I know it well. Um, and, but I, I, my commitment to biblical authority has only grown stronger, even though I wouldn't line up with several uh, approaches there. But that's no,
1: no, <laughs> hey, for what it's worth, while he's had a big influence on me, I naturally don't agree with him on everything. I just like yeah. I just like his approach and desiring. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, to- yeah. And when I. I say- I kind of can't stand a Christianity where if you mention somebody you've been influenced by, people are like, oh, I just – I'm like, measure yeah. the content of what a person's saying, not somebody they got it from or the book or whatever. So, I mean, I, I've i got a vast array of influences in my life, some of which I'm like I might disagree with more than I agree with now, but they had a l- serious influence on my life. And, yeah. you know, I just I, – I think it's people get all up in arms over – different names and stuff, but yeah, that's funny. I, <laughs> well, Samuel, I've taken enough of your time. You've given us a lot to think about, man. And, and um, yeah, I'm still, I'm just, I'm, I'm on a journey and thinking through this and I hope my audience will will think through and, and, and uh, you've given us a lot to, to process. And uh, I, most of all, man, I just appreciate your humility and thoughtfulness. Like you just, I don't know, you come off as a really authentic dude. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much.
1: Is it okay if I, if I could just um, read a text? Absolutely. Maybe that just, uh, to, yeah, I guess it would look bad said, no, I couldn't read the Bible, I guess. I guess it would look bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, just quickly. It's been on my mind a lot. Yeah. Uh, it just might be helpful for people to think through these issues. Yeah. So the Bible says um, um, in Leviticus 19 15, mm. you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor so what he's simply saying is do not show partiality to the um the rich to harm the poor nor should you show partiality or favor the poor Hmm. to harm the rich and that deals with black people and white people and women and men everything Um, so if we obey God's word and if we show if we become if we follow our God who is impartial and shows no favoritism, we'll be fine
0: that's a good word man that's a good word to end on thanks so much Samuel Uh, where can people find you Uh, slowtoright.com is that right or
1: yeah they can also find me on social media slowtoright across all social platforms
0: okay cool alright man take care thank you so much